listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. First of all, uh, just on behalf of the pastors, we just want to say thank you for the words of encouragement, the gifts um, during Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, we're grateful. It's uh, a joy um, just, to, just to serve and lead with you guys. Um, a quick um, story that I want you to think about. Um, Lynn and I were talking several weeks ago, and I don't know how the topic came up, but the thing was... When were you the most afraid? And uh, she relayed the, she, she knew immediately. She was, uh, it was my little Kenya experience. Some of you know about that and some of you don't. Um, I'll spare some parts of the story. But just picture being at the airport in a foreign country. And it's hot to me, maybe nobody else. And you're sitting in a gate that you can't escape from. And your daughter tells your wife, um, look at dad. He's like sweating. Like, I thought everybody else was too, but um, and it was hot. I was just like, oh my gosh, it's hot in here. Stood up against this glass wall. Trying, hopefully that'll cool me off. I'm like, I got to get on this plane because I'm ready to go home. You know, I miss home. And I'm standing against the wall. Hopefully the glass will cool me off. And then all of a sudden... Lynn was standing there by me, and she kind of said, do you mean to be doing, and that's all I heard. And the next thing I knew, I just heard my wife say, gum. So what had happened, apparently, is that I passed out for just a few seconds and fell on the floor, and it's like, what's going on with Mike? That was her fear. It was like, what is this? Is this just a heart attack? Is What, what is going on with him? And... Um, especially in a foreign country, it's hard to get quick answers. And so the people came over eventually and took me to a room and basically handed me a bottle of Dasani water and said, lay here, and I said, okay. Um, but then trying to get answers um, is, is what she wanted. She's, she wanted the answers of what in the world is going on. The reason I tell that story is we'll see some of that same stuff in Daniel chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 5 with me. And as you're doing that, think of a time when you were terrified. What did you do? Did you panic? Did you question, God, what are you doing right now? What was going through your mind? Um, and then, did you get answers? We eventually got answers. It was they said, well, we think we got answers. They said it was dehydration, but um, I think maybe something a little extra was going on there. So in chapter 5, let's just read this together. We'll, we'll read the whole chapter. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine commanded that the vessels of gold and silver and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. 
Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. That would be scary. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretations. Verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of, those, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show me the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, 
and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly and was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is in hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed Meany, Meany, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Meaning, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck. And a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So some of that sounds like a repeat. We hear a lot of the same stuff that we heard preached to us from about Nebuchadnezzar. So to give a little bit of context, the Persians are right outside of the city walls. They're ready to attack. They're ready to take over Babylon. And what is Belshazzar doing? He's throwing a party. A wild party. We can judge his motives. Is he overconfident? In the city's defenses, the walls are built. The walls are strong. The walls are thick. They can't get through here. Or is he even resigned to the fact that, you know what? It's about to be done, so let's go out with a bang. We don't know. I don't really think it matters. The first point today that we all need to remember is God sees our sin when we mock his glory. We see that in verses 1 through 4. He starts with just drinking himself, right? And then he gathers more people, he drinks in front of them, and he invites them to join him. Now, this is not a sermon about drinking. This is a sermon about what is going on with Belshazzar. The drunkenness, the misuse of God's instruments. Okay. I mean, 
It was almost right now if I went over to that glass bowl and just turned it up and guzzled the juice down. What would you do? What would you think? He's lost it, right? What is he doing? Somebody get him off that platform. I know he would. John would come get me. <laughs> Sexual immorality. This was one of those anything goes types of parties. A thousand people. He calls for the vessels to come out. They all drink together. The basic idea is come join me in my arrogant behavior. I'm on top of the world. I've got it all together. I'm the king of Babylon, even though technically he probably wasn't king. Come join me. Come do what I'm doing. We'll have a blast. He's mocking the Lord to take the Lord's instruments that were in the temple of Jerusalem. And I, we drink with that. We take the communion bowl. We go over to a barrel or we go over across the street to the bar and say, can you fill this up with some beer, some wine, some spirits? And these are just symbols over here. What if it was actually in his temple? I was reminded just this morning um, when somebody just touched the ark, immediate death, right? God's presence, the things that belong to him. And that's what we see going on with them. So what about us? God sees this arrogance. In America, it's very easy to quote, I've heard this phrase before, put Jesus on the shelf, right? We've got our Jesus, we put him on the shelf, and then we go live our life the way we want to go live other days of the week or other hours of the day. We worship him on Sunday, but the rest of the week we worship, sorry, the God of sports, the God of family, the God of money, the God of pleasure. We live however we want. That's arrogance. So before we judge Belshazzar too hard, that's arrogance in us. Isaiah 42, verse 8, reads, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Remember, Belshazzar, what were they praising? The gods of wood and stone and gold and silver. And again in Isaiah 48, 11, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. We cannot do things and think we're going to get away with it. Our arrogant behavior. I don't need the Lord. I'm good. We saw that in Nebuchadnezzar as well, correct? I've built this kingdom. I've done this. And Daniel even references that. Whom he kills, he kills. If I want to kill him, he kills him, right? So moving along to verses 5 through 9. So we see this arrogant behavior, and God confronts our sins, and we should tremble when he does. What did God do in Belshazzar's life? The hand comes down, right? 
I was thinking yesterday, I was like, should I get the whiteboard out and have these words written on it? It's like, it wouldn't be the same. It's like, why is that whiteboard over there? We see it. A hand comes down and writes some words on the wall, and it scares him to death, right? We see the descriptions of them. Color changes, alarming thoughts, limbs give way, knees knocking. That, that, that's not cliche in the Bible. Oh, he was a little scared. He's like, oh, man, I wonder what that is. Oh, his knees were knocking. Mm-mm. We see that in other accounts in Scripture. Whenever an angel appeared to somebody, Christmas is coming up, right? When the angels appeared, what was the people's response? You can say it out loud. Fear. There should be fear in the presence of the Lord. And they would be comforted. Do not be afraid. Hey, everything's okay. But not this time. So that hand coming down, that's a manifestation of a deity. We know who that deity is. God is coming down and putting, as we say now, I see the writing on the wall, right? This is where we get it from. This is where America gets it from. Man, it's about, all these football coaches about to lose their job, right? Should have seen the writing on the wall. It comes from this. He didn't do this, and he didn't do this, and he didn't do this, or he did these things that he shouldn't have done. Should have seen the writing on the wall. It wasn't a fascinating piece of art. It wasn't that abstract art. It wasn't even graffiti. You know, we might be driving somewhere, we see some graffiti, and it's like, huh. He was frightened. It was terror. That's why I mentioned that story at the beginning. When have you been most afraid? And he wanted answers, right? So when he's faced with terror, when he's faced with this fear, what does Belshazzar do? He turns to his own religion. He calls in people, doesn't he? Hey, bring those guys in. These verses sounded like verses that we've seen in earlier chapters with Nebuchadnezzar. Bring in who? Bring in the magicians, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. Bring in these guys. Give me answers. I need to know what's going on. And like before, in other accounts, they can't do it, can they? We want answers. He calls loudly to bring in the guys. It's a, it's a panicked call, right? It's not, hey, can you go get those guys and come over here and see if they can help me out a little bit? I mean, it was a very, very authoritative call out, bring these guys now. He wants answers and he wants them now. The usual guys come in and are unsuccessful. Scripture tells us this causes him to be even more alarmed and causes all the people around to be perplexed. Right? I go to the people that I think are going to give me answers and they can't give me answers. Now what am I going to do? Man, this must be serious if these guys can't tell me what it means. My arrogance wants to tell Belshazzar, dude, they can never tell anything. Didn't you read? Like, don't you know from you? It's not really his dad. I'll, we'll talk about that another day, maybe. But didn't you really, didn't you understand Nebuchadnezzar and what happened with him? 
Ladies, the queen enters, right? She has a great idea, as ladies usually do, especially the one on the third row. She enters and she tries to calm him down by saying, listen, there's a guy named Daniel. And she goes into all this stuff about his qualifications, his qualities. He worked at Nebuchadnezzar, called him in. He can do all this stuff. He can interpret dreams. He can solve problems. What a great idea, Queen. She tells him to call Daniel and he will tell the interpretation. When a crisis arises, people will approach those who have earned the right to be heard. Some people like that saying. Some people don't like that saying. But who do you go to? People who steadily, faithfully, consistently just follow and serve the Lord. That's the type of person that Daniel was. Daniel is now in his 80s. And has been in exile around 70 years. That's a long time, isn't it? I heard somebody say, you know, I'm not ever going to retire. I'm just going to keep working and keep working and keep working and keep working. Apparently Daniel was. He was in his 80s and he was still working in exile. So what happens next? Verses 10 through 28. God exposes our sins and we are found wanting. He does that in Belshazzar's life. How? Daniel's brought in. What does he do? Belshazzar gives him the short version. He leaves out all that drinking part, that party part, right? He promises the same reward he promised the others. Clothed in purple, chain of gold, third ruler in the kingdom. I'll give you all this stuff. I'll give you all this stuff. Just give me answers. The mature elderly man stands before the young intoxicated ruler. And he has a few things to say to him. Daniel tells him, keep your gifts. I don't want them. You can give them to somebody else. He doesn't want to exchange his identity to become or look like Babylon. Even 70 years in exile. And he's still holding firm to his faith. I don't want to be third ruler. I don't want your chain. I don't want your purple noble colors flowing. I belong to the Lord. I don't want to be like you. But I will read the writing and interpret it for you. So what does Daniel actually do first? We see Daniel telling the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Wait, I thought you were going to read the writing on the wall and give me the interpretation. That's what I asked you for. And we see a lot of verses where Daniel is telling him, this is what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, you know what happened. You have not learned from him. You haven't humbled your heart. When you read through those passages, look for all the, you've done this and you've done that. I think it's like 14 times, if I count correctly. 
These are all things that the Old Testament calls a fool. Luckily, Belshazzar didn't catch on. He might have done something else with Daniel. But Daniel's basically calling the guy, you're a fool, dude. Why haven't you learned from Nebuchadnezzar? You haven't humbled your heart at all. So he does that, and then he gets to the writing and the interpretation, doesn't he? So Daniel is a prophet after all, right? He's, he's going to say, thus saith the Lord. He's telling him what the Lord says about him. You've done this, you've done this, you've done this, and you've done this. And then he reads the writing on the wall. Meany, meany, tekel, and parson. Scripture tells us the interpretation of what Daniel said. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. This whole power thing you have right now, God's brought it to an end. We don't like it when our power is removed, do we? Just as humans, you're no longer in charge of this. You're no longer in control of this. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Do, are all, thing, all those things true? Yes, absolutely. And then we finish it with this fourth point. God deals with our sins of unrepentance with appropriate judgment. Was it appropriate for God to do what he did in Belshazzar's life? Yes, absolutely. All of us, please listen. There are consequences for Belshazzar. Sometimes those consequences are immediate as we see in his life. Sometimes they're not immediate. You and I are not getting away with anything. But I see the way the Lord worked, was disciplining him, and he gave him 12 months. He only gives me 12 seconds? That's not fair. Who am I to judge the Most High God? So that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed. I know we could camp out and do the history lesson for a while. I don't think that's the point of the text. How was he killed? My, one of my friends likes to Google, so he can, he can Google it later and let all of you know. He's going to see about five or six different things. I really did try to find the answer, but I didn't know which person to believe, so I said, Shh. So let's go back. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And it was fulfilled 12 months later as his arrogance continued. Belshazzar should have known that. But for Belshazzar, the consequences were immediate. You and I do not know how quickly or how slowly the consequences will come. If I say the word application, we're not like immediately done. Don't start closing your Bibles or anything like that. So let's, let's, let's apply this to us, though. 
Is there arrogance in your life? Do you, what do you mean? How are you defining arrogance there? Do you live in such a way that gives glory or weight to anything more than the weight and the glory that you give to Jesus Christ? To our God most high. I can't tell you that. The Holy Spirit can. In Daniel, we have seen arrogance in Nebuchadnezzar, and we have seen arrogance in Belshazzar. If so, if the Holy Spirit reveals arrogance in your life, be quick to repent. Have a change of heart. We'll get into that in just a minute. Be quick to know that the Lord Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind. He did with Nebuchadnezzar. He did a different way with Belshazzar. With you and me, he can do it any way he wants to, right? God is in control of your kingdom. We've We've heard about our own little kingdom a little bit from Mark and Chris earlier. Your kingdom, what you believe your life should look like. We heard about ease and prosperity a couple of weeks ago. That's what my life should look like. I love Jesus, so it should be easy. He should bless me. He should make circumstances work in my favor. But that idea that God is in control of your kingdom, that's either going to bring fear or it's going to bring peace. And I hope for you it's peace. It's fear if you're trying to maintain control. It's comfort and peace. If you have humbled your heart to the point of recognizing his sovereignty and his control over your life. Both of the leaders that we've seen in Daniel... Desire to have control. So my question to you and my question to me is, how are you doing in the area of trying to maintain control of your life? Just think about it a minute. Am I really trying to control my life? Answer is probably yes. But how are you doing? Or is your heart at a point of saying, yes, I have surrendered control of my life to my God most high? A literal judgment can come at any time. Where Kayla and I work, um, I've heard about like three deaths just recently. And it was sudden stuff. It's this co-worker's parent. It's this co-worker's parent. It's this co-worker's parent. And the other day, I was just like, good grief. When's this going to stop? That's me wanting to control it, isn't it? Is that a warning to me? Sure it is. You don't know when your days are numbered. You don't know when it'll be come to an end. You will be found, so little judgment will come. Are you ready for your life to be put on the balances? 
you will be found wanting just like Belshazzar. Because there is a Belshazzar lurking in all of us. The arrogance, the control, the sinfulness. Isaiah chapter 47 verses 10 and 11. For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am, and there, was no, there is no one else besides me. Therefore, evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises, and trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. Knowledge alone does not make you right with God. These guys just wanted answers. Daniel, come. All these other guys and Daniel, come. Just tell me what's going on. Did Belshazzar know the whole story of Nebuchadnezzar? Yes, he had probably heard that many, many times. But that knowledge didn't change his heart. Give me the answers without any heart. I don't have to deal with my heart, do I? Just give me the answers, give me the solution, let's go. Belshazzar never surrendered to God's control over the kingdom of mankind. And in, more specifically, his own life. We all need God to deliver us from us. We are Belshazzar. And he's done that through Jesus Christ. That's the good news. God saves us from us. In Ezekiel chapter 11 verses 19 and 20. He says, I shall give them a single heart. And I shall put a new spirit in them. I shall remove the heart of stone from their bodies. And give them a heart of flesh. So that they can keep my laws and respect my judgments and put them into practice. This is accomplished through Jesus Christ. Jesus has taken the judgment that you deserved. He also gives you his righteousness so that the balances are overwhelmingly found in your favor. They're no longer found wanting. Why? Because the balance is weighing Jesus, not you and not me. And for that, we should be grateful. I have a heart just like Belshazzar. You have a heart just like Belshazzar. Stubborn, arrogant, desiring control, keep my heart out of it, just let me live my life. We're all tempted to do that to one degree or another at different times. Without Jesus, it's going to cost us. Our days are numbered. We've been put on the balances and we are found wanting. And your kingdom is about to be turned over to someone else. My kingdom is about to be turned over to someone else. To the Lord.
But that is good news. There's hope for all of us. God transforms us. He continues to make us more and more like Jesus Christ every day. When I'm in control, I try to resist him. And when I humble myself and say, God, work in my heart. Change my heart from that stone to that soft, moldable heart so that I will desire what you desire. So that I will live my life the way that you would have me live my life. The way to live like Jesus. To serve like Jesus. So my encouragement to all of us, as we've seen in Daniel 1 through 5 now, let's not be like Nebuchadnezzar. Let's not be like Belshazzar. But let's be like Jesus. Each week we gather in this place and we're reminded about the truth of Jesus. Jesus' body was broken and his blood was poured out to rescue you from the consequences of your sin and to give you the gift of his righteousness. That's how we get over this arrogance, this pride. To those of you who believe this, this meal of communion is for you. You are no longer found wanting. What a gift to us. Because there was nothing you or I could have done to, be, to fix that on our own. You are his child and he loves you so much. Remember what he has done for you when you come. And you hold the bread and you dip it in the juice. Taste and see that the Lord is good through this symbol. If you've never placed your trust in what Jesus has done on your behalf, I pray that you would. I pray that you would find a neighbor, that you would find one of us and say, I don't understand everything you're talking about, but I want to. I want to know who Jesus is. I'm arrogant. I'm prideful. I'm sinful, but I need Jesus. Show me how. Surrender to his lordship over your life today. I'm going to pray and when I'm done, come by yourself with your life group, with your family, whoever it may be, and taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray.